Looking at the chaos all around us, it can be hard to see God's grand design. Some pieces are easy and familiar, but some don't seem to fit. And a few pieces appear to be missing altogether. So is life just random? Is God really in control? Does he see something that we don't? With time and patience and trust in the designer of life itself, we'll see that God has all the pieces carefully laid out. And there will be a day when everything will come into focus and we'll see the wisdom, the perfection, and the beauty of all that God planned. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. If I've met you before, my name is Grant. And before we begin today, I want to give credit where credit is due. So this week's message concept is not original, okay? So I want to give credit to David Marvin, R.C. Sproul, Charles Spurgeon, Michael Stotler, Chuck Swindoll, Howard Hendricks, Ryan Winterburn, and Jesus, because without them, I would be preaching absolutely nothing this weekend, just so we're clear. Some of you saw the Christmas tree rolling out this morning and your response in the depth of your soul was, are you kidding me, Grant? We haven't even had turkey yet. So quick poll. How many of you believe, let's just go, you know, stay, stay to the church address right now. How many of you believe that Christmas should be contained to the days following Thanksgiving? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All right. How many of you think Christmas should start, we should celebrate it starting November 1? The true followers of Jesus, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Some of you are just freaked out because we're moving towards Christmas and it's not even December yet. I know. I want to encourage you to relax. I'm here to help you develop the spiritual gifts of patience and long-suffering, and we're going to experience both of those right now because this is the scripture for today. Stick with me. It will be worth it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a record or a genealogy of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. If you're going to have a young kid and he's going to be a linebacker, you need to name him Ram. I'm just saying. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz, the worst king in Israel's history. Isn't that a nice disclaimer? Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, the second most evil king. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And all God's people said, there you go. What you just heard was the family tree of Jesus. 
How many of you grew up with a live Christmas tree? Oh, awesome. How many of you grew up with a family tradition where actually getting the live tree was an experience? You got up in the morning, made the hot chocolate yourself, went out into the wild, had a huge family fight, took the perfect selfie to fool the whole world into believing you didn't have a fight. Cut down the tree, brought it home, put it in your home, rehomed the squirrel that came with the tree, spent an entire evening decorating, gathered to plug in the lights and applauded the lights just like you see in a Hallmark movie and at the end of the day wondered, what did we just do? How many of you live tree people got up at the crack of noon, bought hot chocolate at Starbucks, went to a parking lot, bought a tree, slapped some stuff on it and called it good? There you are, okay. How many of you have a fake tree? Ah, fake tree people, believe it or not, make up 80% of the American population. How many of you have a flocked fake tree? I had to be careful how I said that. If you don't know what a flocked tree is, you should Google it and then repent as soon as you're done. All right, this is what amazes me. People are so committed to their kind of tree. Fake tree people can't understand the tree cutters. It's like, how could you? It's irresponsible to cut down a living thing. Real people don't get the fake tree people because there's no authentic pine smell, right? And the flockers, you guys are just in a category all on your own. I'm not even talking to you. This is not a live tree. But here's the deal, and this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Your live tree is not actually alive. Some of you are like, how dare you, Grant? (laughs) Stay with me. The moment it was separated from its root system, the tree was dead. No longer alive. Some of you are objecting, but no, 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 Grant, you don't understand. It's still drinking. I know, but it's dead. And time will prove me right, because over time, that tree is going to just wilt away. That live tree appears to be alive, but in reality, it's dead because it's no longer connected to the system that gives it life. The second it was cut off from that life system, it was dead. This fake tree makes no false claims. It's just dead. Doesn't even really look real. It was never alive before. It's never going to be alive again. You can plant this tree in the ground and it will give the appearance of life, but in reality, it's dead. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, the Bible says that when sin entered the world, everything, everything was placed under the curse of death. Merry Christmas. Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned before the law was given, sin was in the world. And some of you are challenging, going, that's not really my experience. What do you mean everything died? What do you mean everything is under the curse of death? Because some of you are going, the person sitting next to me appears to be very much alive. The greeter who said hi to me when I walked in the door, they appeared to be very much alive. And unless Christ the King went all Disney and replaced Grant with an animatomic robot, you appear to be very much alive too. So what's this thing about everything being put under the curse of death? And we haven't even got to the curse of sin yet. Well, this is tough, but it's true. The world as we know it is under the curse of sin and death. But believe it or not, That backdrop in reality is actually what makes Christmas so special. And let me show you how. You see, into a broken world 2,000 years ago, an ancient world of infanticide and murder and chaos, 
And into a modern world of war and political division and even more chaos, God introduced a remedy for all of that brokenness. And the remedy came in the form of a tiny little baby who became a man who gave his life for all of us. His name was Jesus. In about six weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And there are going to be a lot of distractions from the true meaning of Christmas, but the core truth about Christmas is that all the way along, God was planning to introduce a remedy for all of the brokenness that was and ever will be through Jesus. And that leads us to three very simple truths for today. Truth number one, God planned a way to make brokenness whole. I read you a genealogy, and let's be honest, some of you were wishing you could just hit fast forward and get past it, because that's what we do with genealogies, right? We just want to hit skip and jump right over top of them, because it's just a list of names, or is it? In ancient times, a genealogy was like a familial resume. We do the same type of thing with 23andMe, Ancestry.com, and my personal favorite, JeansReunited.com, Okay? And then it spits out all of these relationships and we go, look, that, look, that's my family tree. In this time in history, it was a big deal to have a genealogy because that's what gave you status. And because it was about status, ancient, ancient genealogies would often do this. They would leave out certain people in certain sections because they were scandalous. Matthew's genealogy is very different from that model. Because both Matthew and Luke, the biblical writers, specifically leave in all of the scandal and all of the broken stories. You know why? It's so that you and I would feel right at home in the family tree of Jesus. If nothing else, some of you are going to walk away today and go, after hearing the family tree of Jesus, I'm going to have to say my family is not that bad after all. The genealogy starts with these words. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. The word Messiah means deliverer. It's a record of Jesus the deliverer. His actual name, the name Jesus, means God saves. So in the beginning of time, God was planning a saving expedition. The solution that God introduced into the world when it came to sin and death was not some religious experience or some list of do's and don'ts. It was a remedy that said, you and I, we need a savior. We're sinners and sinners need saviors. But people get this messed up all the time. The salvation message doesn't say good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, so just try to be a good person. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that everyone who's ever lived or is living is spiritually dead, is therefore a messed up person who doesn't actually deserve to have a relationship with God. But, but, because Jesus the Deliverer, Jesus the Savior, and Jesus the Messiah shows up, we have an opportunity to receive God's free gift of salvation. And that's worth a Merry Christmas right there. All the world religions essentially teach the same thing. They teach a methodology, a methodology that says, do this, do this. Pray five times a day, show up here in this location once in your life, just be nice to one another, worship that tree, do more bad than good, declare a holy war, or whatever it is. And if you do that, you will gain favor with a removed God, and you might get some kind of a reward. It's about 
everything that you need to do to get to God. And you can go through all of them. Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, and all of the major world religions. And none of them put forward the picture that Jesus does. Jesus says, you can't get to me, so I'll come to you. Jesus said everybody has sin, and the good news is he came to be the God who saves. And this is where it gets amazing. Truth number two, God used broken people to bring about his plan. God didn't skip over the broken parts of his family tree. Instead, he used those parts to bring about the planned birth of his one and only son. Here's some examples. The genealogy says Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So Judah was one of 12 brothers. Some of them were okay, some of them were bad, some of them were good, but there was one brother whose name was Joseph, and Judah had an issue with Joseph. So did the rest of his brothers. You see, Joseph was their dad's favorite, and Judah and his brothers hated him for it. And so one day they come up with a plan. Hey, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. He's dad's favorite, and we are so over him. If you've got competition in your family, you understand Judah just a little bit. One of the brothers says, actually, no, 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 no. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. As if that's a more noble choice, right? I'm going to kill a little brother. We're just going to sell him into slavery. That'll be so much better. So they actually do it. They take their brother. They throw him in a pit. They sell him as a slave. And then Judah and his brothers fake Joseph's death, tell their dad Joseph was killed, and they bring that message back and hold on to that message for 20 years. For 20 years, Judah carried a lie along with all of his other brothers. So what makes up a part of Jesus' family tree? Lying liars. I want to say something to you right here. We're going to add a bunch of words to this tree today, and some of those words may trigger you because they're a part of your story. Do not let the enemy of your soul shame you you don't let a word define you or knock you off center because i promise you if you'll stick with me through the end jesus has a message for you today and it will transform everything for you the story of judah actually gets even more vile as we're going along but it reinforces the truth that god included broken people in his plan in order to bring salvation to the world the genealogy goes on. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab is not just known as Rahab in Scripture. She's also known as Rahab the prostitute. And that's tough. Not only was she a prostitute, she was a foreigner. She was a Canaanite. She was not viewed as one of God's chosen people. In fact, she was seen as an enemy of God's people. And in that day, foreigners were seen as, as enemies. All foreigners were seen as enemies. So Rahab, in her life, is in a tough spot. Rahab is a prostitute in a foreign city, but this incredible thing happens. She starts seeking the God of Israel. And amazingly... She's named as the great 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 grandmother of the Messiah of the world, Jesus himself. She's great grandma to the 25th power, for those of you who are mathematical. 
So once again, who's, who's a part of the family tree of Jesus? We've got to put that word there. Let's do another one. How about David? Oh, King David, he's so wonderful. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Boy, there are a lot of scandals wrapped up in those words. Let me tell you the story. David goes up on a roof one day, and, and down below him he sees a woman bathing, and he keeps looking. He sends for her, finds out that she's the wife of one of his military commanders. He sleeps with her and then orders her husband to be put on the front lines of a war, knowing that if he put Uriah on the front line of a war, he would never be coming home. The woman's name was Bathsheba. And I want you to think about this for a second. When God said, hmm, I wonder who I should choose to be the great, 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 whole bunch of things like that. You know, grandmother of Jesus, the savior of the world. God chose Bathsheba. So as soon as you add David and Bathsheba to the list, we've got to put murder up here because Uriah ends up losing his life. And we've got to put adultery up here because that's just truly a part of their story. The list says that David and Bathsheba had a kid and his name is Solomon. And, and I know Solomon is known for his incredible wisdom, but he's also known for a few other things as well, like relational dysfunction. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand sex partners when God clearly stated the kingdom of Israel should have one wife. So we could put up the word polygamy or we could put something else let's just call it a lack of wisdom all right isn't the tree looking good and we could keep going down the list i could talk about king ahaz in the room but there are a few kids in the room and i don't want to give them nightmares what I want you to know is this. So each one of the people in the family tree of Jesus has a stigma and a label attached to them. They were sinners, and that's the point. Jesus, the perfect one, came from a long line of sinners, and he came for sinners because everyone out there and everyone up here is a sinner. And who's writing all this down? A guy by the name of Matthew. Matthew knew a lot about stigmas and labels. You see, before he met Jesus, he was known as Matthew the tax collector. And, and we go, oh, so he worked for the IRS and sort of. He worked for the IRS, but here's the thing about tax collectors. Every single one of them was stealing. They were skimming money off the top. They wanted to make sure Rome didn't get their full cut, so that's how they actually supplemented their income. And so if we're going to look at the family tree all over, we, we have to add at least this one because it's just true because this is the guy that's writing all this stuff down. It was Matthew the tax collector and then he met Jesus. And I'm going to make a statement in a second and I'm going to give you an opportunity that, that if you have any part of a broken story whatsoever that you should be able to agree with hopefully at some level. Jesus changes everything. Matthew wrote this out. Now, this is the broken family tree of Jesus, but Jesus changes everything. Jesus changed him from Matthew the tax collector to Matthew the disciple of Jesus. 
Matthew knew the labels the world had assigned to him. He knew them. He, he knew all of the things in his past, but he also knew something at this point in his life. Everything he had ever done had been redefined by Jesus. Every person we listed out had labels that the world had, had defined them by. Rahab had this reputation, but now because of this family tree, the most famous title she holds is great-grandma to the 25th power to the Messiah of the world. So what does it mean for everybody sitting in this room? Your relationship with Christ redefines any other worldly label or stigma that's ever been assigned to you or by you. Last truth. Christ defines what once defined us. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, anything the world attaches to you, all of your past, it can't all go away. And I know some of you are, are objecting in the depth of your soul because we all come from a level of, of brokenness and, and there's something automatic inside of us that says, no, Grant, you don't understand. I'm damaged goods. I'm someone who had an abortion. I'm someone who pushed their girlfriend to have an abortion. I'm a porn addict, I'm a thief, I'm a liar, I'm someone who totally abandoned my family, and the list goes on and on and on. To you, Matthew would say, the reason I included all of the dysfunction and the brokenness in the family tree is because that's the point. No matter how far you feel from God right now, he has not stopped pursuing you. His plan all along was to include you in his family tree. He came from a long line of sinners for sinners, and that's why there's so much hope in the world today. So I'm done talking about everybody else. How about some of my own lovely pieces of resume? Boy, I could write a book about insecurity. You want me to cry? I could talk about my pride and how it gets in the way. Coming into Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas, boy, I, I could give lectures about wrong priorities. And they all hang together. And it's not a pretty picture, but boy, it's real. Jesus and all the brokenness of his family tree came to earth to hang on a tree for me and you so that we could trust in him. This amazes me. Jesus came to die for the people who would believe and even for the ones who wouldn't. And in doing so, he redefines every negative label that's out there and he transforms them. He says, you may have lied or been a liar, but, but now, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're looking at the floor right now because adultery was a part of your story, but if you flip that over, maybe God's inviting you into a beautiful covenant commitment with him that will last for an entire lifetime. What if insecurity is not how you're identified anymore, but it's your new identity inside of Jesus Christ? What if murder needs to move into the background, and instead we embrace the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and 
in the life? What if it's not prostitution anymore, but instead it's absolutely pure because Jesus said, I will wash you as white as snow. What if a lack of wisdom disappeared off the tree and it became this beautiful gift of discernment? What if it wasn't pride anymore, but instead it was this beautiful humility, the same kind of humility that Jesus showed us when he washed the feet of his own creation? What if stealing disappeared into the background and instead we understood that Jesus came to to restore everything that had been broken? And what if all the wrong priorities disappeared and they became cross-centered priorities? What if the whole point of the broken family tree of Jesus is to allow us to understand that it doesn't need to stay there? What if it could all change? This week's message is so simple. It's, It's just... It's this, whatever label you carry, if you are in Christ, no matter how hard it is to believe or even receive spiritually speaking, the Bible says because you know Jesus, everything about you has been redefined. No matter what your present sin struggle is or your past sin struggle was, all of it can be made new because of a relationship with the man whose name begins at the beginning of the genealogy and at the end Jesus our deliverer and our Messiah so our family is one of those families that starts November 1 I was yeah thank you I appreciate that (laughs) I was a Grinch for too many years And the elf that I got married to won me over to the side of light. (laughs) And the other day we were in our living room and we were hanging ornaments on our fake tree. And my allergies say thank you. Um, And I was thinking to myself, every ornament that hangs on a tree is all about the celebration of the birth of Christ. Who came and hung on a tree for you and me so that all of our brokenness and mess could also hang on a tree as well and be transformed because he came you know the the family tree of Jesus was scandalous and maybe yours is too but I want to encourage you don't allow the the labels of the world to define you. Instead, let the love of Jesus redefine you. See, the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is that Jesus came, took our place, died on a tree, and and, and what defines us is not the tree from the Garden of Genesis, which we're going to talk about next week. No, it was defined by a moment in time a cross where our Messiah, our Savior, the Son of David, Jesus, the God who saves, was crucified for you and me so that you and I could enter into the fullness of all that God has for us as we are transformed. Over the next six weeks, you're going to hear the same thing over and over again. God had a plan. God still has a plan. He's into the intricate details of life, so my encouragement to you is to remove and redefine all of the old labels so that we can all together experience new life and hope. And if that happens over this next six weeks, 
then this will be a Christmas to remember that Christ the King. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you. Thank you. That you love to restore, that you love to bring wholeness, that you need, that, that, that you came to, to transform. God, I thank you that we are no longer defined by our old labels and stigmas, but instead we can be redefined by who you say we are. God, for any areas of our life where we're struggling to hand that over, I pray that today would be the day of surrender when we fully embrace all that you came for and all that you did. So God, bless my brothers and sisters today. May we be released from the shame of the past. And Lord, thank you for including us in your family tree. Oh, what a beautiful legacy we aspire to be. So God, in the name of Jesus today, help us to have hope that out of a broken family tree, a Savior can emerge. And Lord, may the message of our Savior allow us to walk with hope and passion in the coming weeks. We are so thankful for you at Thanksgiving. And we are so looking forward to the celebration of the fact that you came on Christmas. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to dismiss you and you're, and you're going to take off and some of you are going to like beat a path through the commons like I got to get out of here because there's a lot of stuff to do. Like Black Friday's coming and I have things to order and I got to get stuff and I got to gotta go, got to go, got to go. There's lots of distractions these days, but we want to invite you into a family moment. So if you need to spoil your lunch, we'd like to facilitate that. So as you're leaving today and you head towards the meeting place, we've got cider and donuts for everybody. Up on the screen, you're going to see some prompts that are going to allow you to actually connect and have conversation. What if the goal today was to meet three different people that you've never met before and the family of Christ the King just got a little bit bigger today? We would invite you to head that direction to all of you. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're here. God bless you.